Welcome back to the special edition of the Uptime Wind Energy Podcast. I'm Alan Hall, along with my co-host, Joel Saxon. ArcVera Renewables is the leading provider of renewable energy technology services, including wind resource assessments, technical due diligence, project engineering, and O&M support. ArcVera's work in the wind industry is helping to make wind energy more affordable and reliable. The company's services are helping developers to build new wind farms and improve the performance of existing wind farms. As a result, wind energy is playing an increasingly important role in the global energy mix. In this podcast, we'll explore ArcVera's work with ArcVera's CEO, Greg Poulos. Greg, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's great to be here. Hi, Alan. Hi, Joel. See you. Good to see you again. Yeah, so the last time we, we got together was in New Orleans at uh, ACP, and that was a good time. That was a really crazy convention. I, I know since we have left there, uh, Joel and I work in the lightning space, and you're in the, in the, wind, in the wind, wind space, actual wind, the productive part of the wind industry business. Uh, it's been a busy summer. I, I assume you guys have been busy with all the projects and all the IRA things that have been happening, trying to evaluate uh, performance of farms and what, where to put new farms and what's going on offshore. I'm really interested to pick your brain here. Yeah, all, all of those things uh, globally. So, yeah, absolutely. ArcVera has been around for about 40 years at this point. Can, can you just give our listeners a brief introduction as to all the things you do around the wind industry? Absolutely. So, so we work on, uh, on the wind side. We also work in solar and battery storage. Um, but on the wind side, we work uh, just as in solar and storage through the full project lifetime. So in wind, there's a prospecting phase where a developer or somebody trying to create a wind farm is looking for a spot or they have a spot in mind and they need to know if it's going to be economic. Should they invest more in their, in their development? So we help folks understand how windy a certain site may be using our vast experience and also advanced modeling tools, some of which we discussed at ACP, but um, a variety of other things, including our meteorological expertise about flow over complex terrain. Uh, there's a lot of free material out there that um, is inaccurate, and so we help narrow the band of uh, to what the real answer is. Um, ultimately, you have to measure on site, and and so you have to use lidar, sodar, or meteorological towers most commonly. Offshore, they call them floating lidar or flidar. But so we'll recommend the configuration, design, and where to place those systems. Monitor all those systems after they're. In, installed, inspect them, all with an eye toward eventual financing. You need to have a nice tied-up story around your energy production, and it all starts with getting excellent data uh, measured. So we work with them through the entire development process, analyzing data, creating reports related to energy, evaluating the different turbine technologies that are uh, available and the correct hub height to place those at for a given meteorological regime and wind speed based on IEC standards, uh, design the turbine arrays, do the energy work, and then ultimately, after a long process that is too long to describe in my brief introduction to what we do, um, a, a turbine is, is purchased and uh, an off-taker is found, ultimately, who will buy the power or you take merchant risk and you go to the bank, get your money. And we work with the clients through that with technical reports in support of financing wind farms. And uh, during construction, we, we do some work on the construction site. Um, depending on how things are going, we'll review the contracts for operations and maintenance, 
review the turbine supply agreement. And then uh, after, after construction, there's all sorts of operational side work we can do, including forensic analysis of performance, uh, power performance testing with the IECRE uh, standard uh, certification that we have, and um, all the way through. And then 30 years later, you might repower, uh, depending on the situation, and we'll come back and do it all again uh, with uh, repowering us. Something to focus on here is uh, what Alan and I, because, you know, with WeatherGuard, we're always talking lightning with people. They call, hey, I have lightning issues, I have lightning issues. And one of the things that we focus on with everybody who calls is the simple fact that there is not a blanket you can throw over and say, this is how lightning works. It, it does in a certain sense, but every site is different, right? Depending on the technology installed, depending on the topography, the local geography, the local weather patterns, all of these things go into fact when you're making decisions on what to do whether it's O&M decisions why for us of course why is lightning striking me this way what can i expect in the future i have damage here why why is this happening what's going on here so what you guys are focusing on as well greg is yeah there may be an idea of hey wind blows here in this in this county and we think we have this for a wind resource however when you really want to nail it down and get into the the nitty gritty and get some bankable insights you need to talk to the experts and have them do an ups per site actual investigation and, and give you some real insights. Yeah, that that's correct. There's a whole uh, process to this that, that, you know, being around for 40 plus years, at least the original founders, not me, I was 12 when the original founder started. So, um, you know, a, a set of gurus uh, that existed in those early days, basically um, over time came up with more and more rigorous methods uh, to uh, study wind farms and get the answer right. You know, you make mistakes, you make corrections. Um, so all the methods uh, of energy assessment have steadily improved over time, and they're constantly changing as we discover th new things, such as the long-range wakes topic we discussed last time. So there are new things emerging uh, as the industry changes. But yeah, you, you absolutely have to follow a protocol. And, um, you know, we serve on the standards committee for the International Electrotechnical Commission, the IEC, and there's a new standard that's actually going to be uh, coming out. Uh, I'm not sure the exact timing, a year or two after all the processes are done of new, um, called IEC-15-61415-2. Uh, um, anyway, that's underway with a bunch of industry, current industry experts that are all working together to um, formulate a standard for that process, but there are very well-established practices already, um, very well-known practices that are used to create bankable wind assessments. There's a big repowering effort in the United States, and I want to I touch on that point for a minute. When I talk to existing wind farms that have been around 10, 20 years, and they're getting to that repower stage, when, when you ask them what the expected power production was from that site uh, when they started to build it and what the actual is, there's a big discrepancy between those two typically. So the data they had, when, I think a lot of times they didn't use an arc bearer type service when they put these farms out there. They just put some met towers up, got some general numbers and starts putting farms up. That's really not the way to do it. So when they come to a repowering situation, what's the right approach there to, to actually get some hard numbers? Because they're going to put different technology in typically on these new sites. And they, they need to know, do I need to put low low wind speed turbines up here? Do I need to raise the tower hub height a little bit? What's that process look like? 
that process is is pretty straightforward once you have the right information. So um, in some cases, we have the old data from the original wind farm in our database uh, because we we did work on it before. Maybe they didn't do a bankable assessment, but we might have been had the data happen to have the data in in house. That's happened several times. Um, but uh, as, except for that, we we also advised them to put up new meteorological measurements um, around the site uh, for a year uh, prior to doing the repowering assessment. Sometimes there isn't time for that. And you, there's an, uh, a second method to evaluate the energy production on a site, which involves using the actual um, SCADA data, the power production data from those farms that have been, the, from the farm that's been operating all that time. You can use that information and sort of reverse engineer how the wind blows, and then re-engineer that um, to create an operational repowering forecast using modern turbine technology, which is usually much taller. And so you need some knowledge of what the shear is at a site like that. Um, in other words, the, the change in the wind speed with height, you have to understand that if you're going to go higher, it's going to be windier generally. Um, at a particular location. That's not always true in topography. Sometimes it's windy or downhill. Anyway, um, I didn't want to get that, sneak that in real quick. But um, but for the, for the most part, except in certain places like complex California valleys where the wind speed actually decreases with height, um, you need to understand uh, how how the new, how energy from new modern turbines with bigger rotors, taller hub heights will, will work. And you have to reverse engineer the data because you don't have any meteorological information to go on. Let's say the original Met Towers were very short anyway, very old technology, very low quality, not much to work with even with the old data uh, for modern techniques, consistent with modern techniques. So you have to reverse engineer the power production at that farm, try to understand how the wind blows there and then reconstruct what a new turbine at taller hub height uh, might produce. It's very uncertain and um, compared compared to a full measurement campaign, but it can be done. How does LIDAR play into those measurements? Do you need to put LIDAR up at some of these sites to really understand how the wind is moving versus uh, altitude or some of the perturbations you're getting from the landscape? You, you can certainly use LIDAR. Uh, you can use meteorological towers or SODAR. Li LIDAR is handy. Uh, certainly, um, it, it generally observes the wind speeds to uh, 120 to 200 meters above ground, uh, depending on the settings and characteristics of the site. Um, lasers that come out of LIDARs bounce off particulates in the atmosphere. So if the atmosphere is very clean, sometimes they don't return a signal. Um, SODARs can be used as well, and uh, they have different characteristics. And meteorological towers are sort of the long standard that's existed in the industry. A lot of the standards are actually based on anemometers um, in the wind turbine design. So using LIDAR and SODAR creates a little uncertainty in the turbulence measurements. In any case, um, they are very, they're very helpful, absolutely. And many of our clients are using LIDAR and SODAR all around the world uh, to supplement meteorological, meteorological tower-based measurements and to go higher, you know, above, it's very expensive to build a very tall net tower in many parts of the world. So you put up a shorter one and supplement it with information 
from a LIDAR or sonar that looks above the net tower height. Digging back into the repower issue, and this is one of the reasons why I think someone going to do a repower should contact ArcVera, simply because you guys are also doing this long this long distance wake research, right? So you're understanding what's happening downwind and whatnot. So as uh, again, as say XYZ wind farm was installed in 2010 and there are 20, what, what, 2023 now, how about 2013? Cause someone's taken perfect advantage of PTCs. So in that 10 years in that area, there more than likely has been some neighboring wind farms installed either downstream, upstream next to it. So while you guys are, yes, you have a, some constraints of this is where the existing towers are. We're going to assimilate new and possibly new technology onto these existing towers. However, around this area, there has also been local changes in the wind resource because of these additions. Now, Arcveras has a bunch of specialized knowledge that others may not have around this long distance uh, wake changes that may affect the production. So in this, in this case right now is my thought, if I'm doing a repower, I'm calling Arcvera because they've got not only the knowledge, the existing knowledge of the wind resource within that wind farm, but they have a specialized batch of knowledge. You guys have a specialized batch of knowledge of what could be going on around and the long-term wakes affecting it. That's right. With, with the, the modeling technique that we described in the last podcast, um, we, we have the ability to recreate the impact of new wind farms being built over time. Um, so you can do a simulation with and without those wind farms in place and get a more accurate estimate of how that affects ongoing uh, energy production. Uh, the other, well, you can use that method, but you have to have knowledge of when wind farms went in, the types of turbines that are there. You have to have all the power curves and all the specs of, of those wind farms, as well as the wind farm you're trying to build to really understand how that is going to affect things. So, uh, yeah, we can do that. And it's certainly something we do every day. It's complicating. Those same issues are complicating day-to-day -day wind energy resource assessment for uh, new wind farm builds as well as repowers. Computational power it takes to do that, it's got to be tremendous, right? Now, that's, a, that's a really difficult model. It is. It's definitely a specialized activity. The uh, we, we run on supercomputers in the cloud, you know, for for generally thousands, thousands of uh, processors operating simultaneously for a day or five days or, you know, whatever it happens to take for the particular instance. And then you get terabytes of data and you have processing methods to take that down to just the answer you need. There's a lot more information there you throw away because it's a commercial application. Uh, you could you could probably do a master's degree or PhD with most of that um, every run every day, but um, it, it's very sophisticated stuff. Uh, it involves a lot of automation to get down to a commercially viable pricing. Uh, you know, you're taking something that ten years ago would cost million dollars, um, probably you're doing it for twenty five thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars or maybe less. So let's let's jump offshore. And I I know Ark Barrow, you you have a presence worldwide, right? You have where, let's just start there. Where are all your offices at? We have subsidiary offices uh, operating in Brazil since uh, 2011, I believe, was the first um, major inroads there, and then South Africa since 2015, and in. Uh, Bangalore, India, since 2020. During the pandemic, we opened that one. I want to touch on the offshore piece because I know India is planning on a lot of offshore. And that looks like it's on the, it's sort of like the East Coast of the United States. Everything's on the 
eastern side of India is where they're planting all that. So all the wind's going to come off land onto the turbines. And then on the, in, in the New York Bight area, same thing. With all the changes that are happening in the who's going to put wind turbines where situation in the, in the New York Bight, how do you know what that resource is going to look like when you finally someday put in turbines or putting turbines in the water? Yeah, you don't know what's coming. That's the hardest part of the build-out risk calculation. So you have to do scenarios. Uh, you know, ocean, ocean wind, you know, being temporarily canceled, it may come back, right? So, so you, can, you can say, okay, well, we have a reprieve for a little while, but eventually the wind is going to flow through some new wind farms where ocean wind was originally planned and um, take some of the power out of the wind before it reaches our wind farm. So we can operate scot-free for a little while, but then they're going to come uh, later. So you have to assess that. And just so you understand the risk, there's not too much you can do about it other than just take a haircut or not build your wind farm. But um, it's good to understand the magnitude. If it's a small magnitude, you could say, okay, that's, that's going to be acceptable even long term. Or it may be, okay, for 10 years, we'll make, we'll make X. And then after 10 years, we're going to assume those are going to be built. And can we handle that financially? And, or how would, what would we do in that instance? Um, because there's no current laws for reimbursement um, for future wind farms to existing wind farms. So that's what you have to do is just evaluate the various scenarios. And do you, would you need to know the kind of turbines that would be installed in front of you? Does that matter all that much? I guess maybe the hub height would matter? I mean, you, you can make very good assumptions, um, even if it's not built about what, it, what the likely effects are going to be. But um, depending on how long it is, it could be quite a bit different, right? It could be a really different technology. We don't know it's coming. But um, using uh, the three-bladed upwind machine assumption, there are certainly standards for expected thrust and power production that you can apply and, and make assumptions about the type of turbine just based on experience that's very realistic. At, at least it, no more uncertain than the rest of the process. Yeah, well, so what happens when uh, if we're talking about wind off the coast of New Jersey, uh, places like Atlantic City, right? They, they've built big casinos and there's big buildings and, and the build out will continue along the coastline of New Jersey, I assume, for a while. And even New York, for that matter, when they start building big structures right on the edge of shorelines, does, I assume that that affects the wind offshore, right? That that's part of these wakes that are created that seem to go for fifty, hundred kilometers. Sure, yeah. If you were to if you were to build wind farms onshore and the wind were from onshore to offshore, they would deplete the wind resource to some degree. And that effect would be felt in the offshore wind farms. And this, the reverse is true if the wind blows the other direction. Uh, the, the, uh, when, when the wind blows from onshore to offshore, it also blows the temperature structure over the, over the land, over the ocean. And so it's suddenly, it's over warm, let's say in the summertime, you have very warm air over land. The sun's up, it's hazy, hot, and humid in New Jersey and New York, and the wind is from the southwest. That gets blown over the relatively cold ocean. That creates a stable atmosphere, which lengthens the wake effect and makes it worse. So there are effects 
of just the weather uh, that's occurring onshore if it's being advected in the terminology of, of atmospheric science, if it's being moved offshore over, over the water. You're on the big word of the day wind right now, Greg. Evected. Advection. There you're going. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw an odd one at you. And Alan, this isn't in our questions that we threw, but I was just thinking about it as we're talking offshore. So so on the on the podcast, we have talked about some new technologies and we've had some on. So some of these new technologies, of course, floating offshore wind is going to be new and i believe that that and i don't this is me armchair engineer right i believe that those platforms could cause wake changes as well because there's actually in different angles of incidence as they move offshore but the other things i'm wondering is has arc vera investigated you know that they can that you can talk about or maybe even just kind of on the side around the water cooler the ideas of like say the sea twirl or the wind wall and those kind of technologies that are on the horizon maybe that are startups that might become commercialized at some point? Have you investiga investigated any of those? We, we haven't investigated them sort of officially under contract, that kind of thing. But certainly we, we've seen seen the announcements. Um, there's, a, there's a long history of turbine technologies that have been tried of different types. Um, nothing to date has yet beat the economics of the three-bladed upwind, upwind turbine. Um, that, that's not to say there aren't some strong advocates for other technologies um, and, and that others may may in fact come out. Um, we, we, we do have the experience in-house to evaluate them, but we haven't looked at those specifically. What you off, you know, what you get when it's early stage is extremely expensive uh, because it's one-off type stuff. So until it's commercially viable, you really have to invest a lot of money to get it off the ground, even if it's more efficient it might not make it. Yeah, there's a lot of hurdles there, right? To, to to new technology, and then not only is the technology development hurdles, but then you have to get past the the commercial and political hurdles in front of it as well. So I think some of those technologies maybe they're very interesting to watch and to look at, um, but they're getting them to a commercial status, as Phil Tataro will tell you from Intel Store. Getting them commercialized is a lot different than them being technologically feasible. Yeah, are they being used for small wind, say house? household style or farms farm scale or are they being utility scale it for the three bladed upwind turbine utility scale seems to be you know the prime yeah i think the one of the one of the big problems here is that uh what people maybe don't understand and uh, that haven't seen the whole picture of wind is that yes like it might be technologically feasible but then you also have to uh, get the insurance companies to agree that they'll take this risk on um and put it out at a large scale. And that's a difficult thing to do when they're already taking the losses that they do take um, with the offshore wind that we're working with today. Yeah, that's a standard practice part of uh, due diligence. As you go into financing or uh, insurance can, can also get these same reports, you do a turbine technology review. So um, the, less risk is the least risk is associated with small changes from an existing proven technology you're doing something brand new there's going to be a risk premium associated with that applied basically you're going to have to pay more for the money the loan that you're going to get because of the risk and there'll be other conditions applied um which makes it just a more expensive project in the end the rates of return drop well there's a lot of interesting areas in wind and and uh, just knowing what's happening in the wind energy business and it all starts with you greg honestly right so if you don't know what the wind is, you do not know what your energy production is going to be. And that's why people 
consistently call Arc Bearer for for knowledge and advice on on what those projects should look like. Greg, how do people get a hold of ArcBera? How do they contact you? How do they connect up? So uh, they can cer- certainly contact contact me. I'm just greg.pulos at arcbera.com uh, and uh, through our website, naturally, right? So there's an in- info button there and you can you can contact us easily through through that arrangement. And there's also direct contact information for various people on our uh, website <clears throat> anytime. So yeah, please, you know, s- send a note along. I'll get you, I'll get people in touch with the right individuals, techno- technology, technical experts at our company to handle their particular problem, wind, solar, or battery storage. It's a great discussion. Every time you're on the podcast, <laughs> we got to touch base in another couple of months. I know there's a lot happening in wind at the moment, particularly offshore. And as things develop, I want to touch base. And, and thanks for being on the program. Love to have you back. My pleasure. My pleasure.